Virginia Tech, Las Vegas, Columbine, Sandy Hook, all have one thing in common. They're the locations of the horror of a mass shooting. While these events are blamed on one shooter, my guest today, Greg Hickey's new book, Parabellum, expertly explores the psyches of four possible shooters in a fictional account of a mass shooting in Chicago. Thanks for joining Imagine Publicity on Air on the Inside Lens Network. This network covers a variety of topics. For those of you who are interested in current events, issues of importance, true crime, business, history, and, of course, books and authors, I'm your host, Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com, a boutique social media management company that works with individuals, companies, or nonprofits looking for assistance with their social media presence. Not only do I offer full services, but also training to those who prefer to personally handle their own accounts. Right now, (laughs) it's not every day I get to interview a great author twice. Welcome back, Greg. Uh, Hickey, can you briefly give us a little bit about your background so the audience gets to know the author behind the story? Hi, Delilah. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Um, it's, it's wonderful to be back on the show. Um, so I'm a, an author and a forensic scientist. Um, I'm a forensic scientist by day. I work in a crime laboratory in Chicago, analyzing bullets and cartridge cases and guns from, from gun companies gun crimes in and around Chicago, and I write by lunch breaks, evenings, weekends, and whenever else I can find some spare time. Um, and my latest novel, which I think you mentioned earlier, is called Parabellum, and it's a crime novel set in Chicago. And I want everyone to know right up front, you can get a copy of Parabellum and, and Greg's other books at greghickeywrites.com. And I'll have that link um, in the show notes so everybody can go there, get a copy. They're all fantastic books. And, you know, I think it's interesting in looking at the books you've written you really cover a lot of different genres where, you know, you, our dried voices is kind of a science fiction, futuristic, dystopian novel. Then the theory of anything is sort of a mystery crime. Friars of the Lantern, which was the book that we talked about the last time you were on, is a choose the your own ending book, which I had never read one before and found it fascinating. And now Parabellum, which is crime fiction. Um, I want to talk about parabellum, of course, which is the Latin expression. If you want peace, prepare for war. How is that thought in the title significant to you? And could it easily refer to the times we're currently in? Um, well, well, thank you for uh, going over all my books. Um, and yes, I've, I know I've jumped around between multiple genres. Um, as for the title parabellum, so it, kind of has a double meaning. Um, Parabellum is the name of a popular handgun cartridge. So it's it's called 9mm Parabellum in Europe um, and 9mm Luger in the U.S. So readers or listeners who are familiar with guns will recognize it very easily. 
Um, so there is an obvious connection with guns, and, and Parabellum is at heart about a, a mass shooting incident at a beach in Chicago. Um, but then you also touched on the Latin adage, seaweed uh, pacum parabellum, which, as you rightly said, it means if you want peace, prepare for war. And that, that adage really resonated with me as I prepared to write Parabellum. Um, the novel was inspired by uh, the seeming onslaught of mass shooting incidents, um, especially in the last decade or so. Um, and it really came to a head with the back-to-back shootings in Aurora, Colorado and Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012. And that's what really compelled me to write the novel. But um, as I sat down to write this, I realized that it was kind of grappling with the question of why these, these terrible incidents kept happening. And I knew that to kind of find an answer and it comes to some sort of uh, mental peace in the sense of the adage. Um, in my, my quest to understand mass shootings, I knew this search was going to really take me some, to some pretty dark places and require a lot of and hard work to get to um, some clarity and some possible answers. So that's kind of the, the two names of the title of Parabellum. Well, you know, I know your background with forensic science and criminology, I think, too. And uh, were those some of the influences that you called upon to create this story? Where, where did this come from? I mean, I know you explained about the, you know, the influence of the other mass shootings, but, and and Chicago is your hometown, so we have that connection there. But was there something scientific, something, you know, sort of like neuroscience or something that, that inspired you to kind of get into the head of each of your characters? Um, So the, my experience as a forensic scientist did help me out with a, a lot with um, talking about guns and how guns work and um, basic knowledge of terminology and makes and models of different firearms and cartridges and so forth. Um, so that was that experience definitely was helpful in, in trying to get some of the technical details down in this book. Um, as for other avenues of science and getting into psychology and neuroscience, I think that's really the main background of the book. Um, so each of the four main characters in Parabellum um, has some sort of psychological difficulties. Um, there's depression, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and others. And so I had to do a lot of research to both understand the clinical level of these issues you know, what are the symptoms of something like PTSD? How do they manifest themselves in a, in a real person? Um, but I also obviously didn't want the novel to be a, a list of symptoms and a, and a clinical report of what disease looks like in, in the population. Um, so it was really helpful for me in that respect in trying to bring a little, little bit more color to the characters and um, trying to craft more well-rounded characters was reading memoirs by writers and other individuals who had suffered from various psychological ailments. Um, so for example, reading a book like soft spots by a former U S Marine named Clint Van Winkle, which is his account of dealing with PTSD after he served in, in a couple different wars. Um, and books like that really gave me the, the right language to describe 
you know, what it felt like to have PTSD or what it felt like to suffer from depression um, and allowed me, I hope, to write those characters in a way that is true to, to real life experiences and not um, kind of a, a surface and surface coverage of, of what are some very complex and, and difficult issues to deal with. Well, I think this is the first book I've written where the main characters have no name. Why did you create them but not name them? So, I mean, at the most basic level, Parabellum is the story of a mass shooting and the background of each of those characters leading up to the attack. And while I think it's important to understand why these tragedies happen in the real world and what can be done to prevent them in the future, I also think that current media coverage of mass shooting tends to lend too much notoriety to the shooters themselves. So mainstream media repeatedly will name the shooter after, after an event, um, display his or her face on, on the evening news, and kind of go into this sort of macabre, thrill-seeking, true crime hunt of, you know, what was this person like, uh, were there signs beforehand, and so forth. And I realize that I'm doing something in, in similar in Parabellum and that I'm looking at the background of a mass shooting. But I also want to make sure that I was not giving the perpetrator in my book the kind of notoriety that, that I think mass murderers crave and that popular media, media often provides. So taking away the shooter's name was kind of my way of doing that. And the way the novel works, it starts with the aftermath of the mass shooting and then it follows four main characters in the year or so leading up to the attack. And I realized, you know, if I didn't name one character because that character was the, the eventual shooter, then I would have to do the same with the other three characters so that there wasn't anything to give it away to the reader. Um, and that makes perfect sense in this type of a book. To me, it does anyway. And I, you know, I appreciate the fact that, you know, it, it could have been a completely different book had you had names given to each character simply because some wackos out there identify, identify not just with what the person did, but they identify with the name um, and then, sure. you know, continue to carry out these types of horrific things. And you also have a woman in this group, um, which you don't very often hear about a woman being involved in a mass shooting. How did that come about? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, you're right about, you know, women making up a a very small minority of of mass shooters overall. Um, But I did want to kind of, first of all, give some diversity to my character. So they're not just four white males um, who are often the the typical profile that we see in mass shooters. Um, But I also wanted, you know, readers to have to look at these, you know, somewhat diverse characters and sort of examine their own preconceived notions about what a mass shooter would look like and, you know, why they have those ideas about who mass shooters are and, and why they commit the crimes they do. And so introducing a woman to the story was one way of doing that. Um, introducing a, an African-American police officer was another way to kind of push back on the, the usual stereotypes of what a mass shooter looks like. 
again, I think it's it was very good of you to do that. I I've never seen it done before, but yet I appreciate it. And you know, someone who's read a lot of true crime and worked with a lot of true crime authors in the past, I see. You know, again, once that person has a name and they've committed something horrific, there's there's an army of, of wackos out there that are ready to take on the cause, so to speak, and, and you know, perpetuate the violence. And let's let's talk a little bit about this type of violence. Talk about the who, what and why and and why you in studying for this book and doing the homework I know you did, why do you feel that humans are capable of such horrific acts? Well, that's that's the big question, isn't it? Uh, there seems to be something different about um, shooting up a, a movie theater or a school or a beach full of, you know, relative strangers who you're not familiar with and there's no particular reason to target any one of them. Um, and, you know, we can contrast the mass shooting even with something as horrifying as a serial killer who stalks his victims and then stabs them to death or something terrible like that, where the serial killer, you know, at least might have a connection to the victims or might have a, a type of victim that he's targeting or he or she is targeting. Um, and there might be some sort of ritual there. And we can, you know, think of something like the idea of the thrill of the hunt, you know, as terrible as that is when it comes to stalking other human beings. Um, but the, those kind of attempts at understanding a crime don't really even fit for something like a mass shooting. So I think that, that was really part of the struggle for me. And what I, what I decided is that it seems like mass shootings are different from a lot of other killings, not only, you know, serial killers, but gang warfare in inner cities, um, sort of heat of passion, revenge crime, uh, something that, that stems out of a, a robbery or other crime. There's something different about mass shootings, and I think it's a very extreme example of a crime that is due to a failure of empathy. Um, in, order, in order to shoot up a, a beach full of strangers, you really have to distance yourself from those people as human beings. You have to think of them as, you know, on some level as, as not being human beings at all, but being just bodies or, or being some sort of means to an end, whatever, whatever that end is. Um, so I, I think that's in part what distinguishes mass shootings, and there you know, could be many different reasons for this failure of empathy, whether it's a willful failure or whether it's due to something like psychopathy or a psychotic break. Um, and so part of writing Parabellum was for me actually an exercise in empathy. So it was you know, looking at these characters who are all capable of violence and who are all capable of colossal failures of empathy. And it was turn encourage the reader to understand these individuals and try to understand what's happening in the mind of a person who becomes capable of doing some terrible things. Um, and at the same time, obviously, just understanding what's going on in these individuals' minds it certainly doesn't mean condoning um, the actions they eventually take and the paths they go on towards committing violence. But part of the message, I think, of Parabellum is that trying to solve problems in the world, whether it's, you know, mass shootings or anything else, begins with looking inward and asking yourself, how can I be a better person and how can I have a better understanding of what people around me are dealing with? And so that's, that's really part of what I was trying to accomplish in Parabellum. 
And I think you did. I think you did it very well in the sense that instead of instead of reporting on on you know a particular person's childhood problems or traumas and things like that, you've actually done a very very in depth study of each one of them um to where by the end of the book you have you have that understanding you have that information so to speak so that uh, not that we're I don't know in my mind anyway I'm never going to understand how someone can do something like that but to be able to create a a, a solution we have to know these things and it's it's very well portrayed in this book and I think I mind the difference between let's just say a regular murderer or even a serial killer in most instances those murderers know their victims where in a mass shooting they don't know who the victims are they don't know that person's life they don't know if they have children they don't know anything about them so they're just moving targets like birds in the sky so so how do you how do you tie that all in to I guess what I'm trying to say is is that a a good portrait of what the difference is in this type of a killer as opposed to other types yeah I think that's a, a fantastic description of what's going on and I think you make a good point about um you know even when you come to the end of the book, I don't expect readers to necessarily understand everything about what might uh, provoke someone to commit a mass shooting. Now, I certainly still don't have a full understanding of it, but I think you know, Parabellum at least is sort of a, a map of the progression that an individual might take towards violence. The reader can follow along and say, okay, here's, you know, the sort of stages towards increasing violence and increasing aggression um, that these characters go through, even if I don't understand their, their emotional state or their mental state at the time that they commit violence. I think there's at least a, you know, you can point to events along the way. And I think another good point you made, and I, I try to touch on this earlier is that when I look back into these characters lives, I don't want it to be just a, a list of symptoms and a list of, you know, writing down something like you might find in a psychologist notebook, like, you know, troubled childhood, uh, poor family life, et cetera. But in, you know, on one hand, because I don't think that necessarily makes for good fiction and good storytelling. Um, but also my goal was to kind of pick out little events over the course of each of these characters' lives and kind of weave them into the story. So there are events that occur to their characters in childhood, there are events that occur to them in their present day life. And hopefully those events sort of add up in the reader's mind and allow the reader to kind of follow along this progression towards violence. And do you feel like in doing these character studies and and the research that you've done, have we created monsters? Are these people in your book, do they come out being monsters? Um. I mean, I think, you know, readers will certainly say that, that some of them are more monstrous than others. Um, the interesting thing, you know, in writing these, I talked about 
a little bit about how I tried to give some, some color to these characters by um, using memoirs and using some descriptions of people who have actually gone through full issues. Um, another thing I did was to kind of pull from some of my own experiences. So, you know, none of these characters is exactly like me. Most of them aren't really even close to me. But it helped me, I think, in crafting them to kind of take some of my own personal experiences and, and exaggerate them or twist them a little bit and then kind of graft them onto these characters. So, for example, there's a character designated the computer programmer who's kind of um, distant and emotionally detached and, um, you know, struggles to understand, for example, when, when his grandfather passes away, he struggles to kind of sympathize with his mother um, and really emotionally grasp what's going on and emotionally grasp her grief. Um, and while I'm, I'm certainly capable of feeling grief, um, I do work in a job as a forensic scientist where having a little bit of emotional detachment is helpful. Um, I have to analyze guns that have been used in suicide. I have to analyze bullets that have been recovered from, you know, murder victims. Um, if I was really emotionally involved in, in my work and, you know, couldn't handle doing that, then I, I wouldn't be able to have a career as a forensic scientist. So, it was, I was able to kind of take some of those experiences that, have I, that have I've had and some of the characteristics that I possess and kind of twist them and exaggerate them and lend them to my characters and not to hopefully make them more compelling characters. But the one thing that you did, and again, this is something I totally appreciate, is that you you devoted a lot of time to the victims. You gave the victims names. And I thought that was, it, it surprised me, but yet I was very pleased to see that because in, in so, like you said earlier, in so many news reports and so many accounts of some of these horrific things, we forget who the victim is because you've got a killer's mug plastered everywhere it's everywhere and that's all you see so you get to know who that killer is but you never remember who their victims are i mean how many victims of son of sam can anybody name and it's sad right, right. what and possessed so, you to do that <laughs> yeah so that was something i wanted to do i decided to do very on in the very early on in the writing process um was to give the victims' names and to give them a little bit of a backstory. Um, on one hand, to kind of really drive home for the reader that, you know, these victims are real people who live uh, uh, individual lives and have their own dreams and hopes and desires that are, you know, snuffed out or, you know, pretty seriously altered because they have to go through this traumatic event. Um, and it, it was also to, you know, give these victims more than the typical maybe one paragraph coverage that they would get in, over the course of a mass shooting. It was to, you know, make them real flesh and blood people and not just describe, you know, their interests and their hobbies and so forth, but to put them in a, in a real life situation and give the reader a chance to see them interacting with their friends and family and, um, you know, enjoying a day at the beach and talking about what they have to do later that night and, you know, the plans they have for the future um, and until 
you know, the shooting takes place and everything kind of goes terribly wrong for them. And this this happens on a daily basis. I mean, you know, we never know how safe we are anymore, whether, you know, we go to a movie theater or whether we go to a beach or whether we're anywhere out in public. This could happen. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility anymore. And uh, when you when you decided to write a book like this, was it was it an attempt to shock people into um, taking notice or, or how would you describe your motivations, I guess? Um, I would say, I mean, on one hand, I think it's to raise some sort of level of empathy as I touched on earlier, but at the same time, I, I don't think I wanted to sort of shock people into awareness of mass shootings. I think we're all very much aware now that mass shootings do occur in the United States and that they can occur. Um, I think the truth is that they are a a very small percentage of gun crimes in the United States. Um, So, you know, in the setting of Chicago, the vast majority of of gun crimes that happen between gang members and, you know, involve disputes or involve drug wars or something like that. And it's not, you know, one lone individual going to a beach with a gun and, and randomly shooting people. Um, so I do try to touch on that a little bit in the story and have some of the characters who um, come from different backgrounds and some, some from more impoverished backgrounds um, and have the characters kind of reference the, the ongoing violence in, in Chicago and in many other cities around the country, the vast majority of gun violence in this country and probably around the world, but kind of gets glossed over on the evening news. Um, so it was, it was a balance for me because I think the issues of mass shooting and, and why this happens and what this kind of failure of empathy looks like, I think was the, the intriguing question for me, but I also didn't want to make mass shootings um, seem bigger and a higher risk than, than, they, than they really are, especially in comparison to some of the, the real-world violence that does occur in our cities every day. Well, and I also appreciate the fact that, you know, you were able to tell this story without glorifying it, uh, like you say, without without glorifying the perpetrators, of course, and it, it all comes down to the, like you say, the empathy for a fellow human being. Um, where do you feel we should be looking at these characters, or how we should be looking at these characters in the sense of creating empathy for them? I mean, is that uh, what we should be doing to get a better understanding, to be able to find? a solution early on or somehow to step in the gap to prevent someone like this from either getting their hands on a gun or, you know, being someplace that they can use it to where people get hurt. Yes. I mean, uh, part of the book I think is um, sort of holding up a mirror to the reader and saying, you know, yes. Can you emphasize with these characters? Um, but also can you sort of find little parts of them within yourself? Parabellum 
um, is a sort of journal that's made by the, the purported shooter. Um, so there's about, I think there are 10 sections throughout the novel written in a first person account of presumably from the shooter's perspective about um, his or her thoughts and his or her approach to planning this attack. And, you know, when one of my beta readers read it, they said, you know, this person actually makes some decent points or, you know, I can, I can follow with these, this person's logic up to a certain point and then it kind of goes off the deep end. Um, but, you know, so I think a lot of the novel is asking the reader to find little parts of themselves in these characters and understanding these characters that sort of understand themselves better and understand maybe how things could go wrong for them and how, how, you know, their responses to um, setbacks or challenges in their life could go wrong and, and how they can hopefully craft better responses. And I guess that's that's definitely part of the solution is that we need to find better support systems for recognizing these types of symptoms within ourselves and know that, you know, there's help out there that people don't have to act on everything or these types of impulses or these types of scenarios that you've uh, created and explained in the book. And I also want to point out the fact that, you know, you go through the book reading about these people, but you don't know till the end who the shooter is. I thought that was, that was quite a twist. Yeah. I mean, so it is, you know, in addition to dealing with these, some of these bigger issues of empathy and, and what goes wrong in mass shootings, it's, I still want it to be a hopefully compelling crime novel where the reader doesn't know uh, who the eventual killer is and maybe some clues along the way. And some readers may enjoy trying to guess for themselves which character ends up being the shooter. But I definitely wanted to have that sort of who done it aspect in addition to the, as some readers have said, the why done it aspect. So there's hopefully a balance between the two in, in that mystery that continues throughout the story. And I think you did. And, and, I'd like to step back just, you know me, I go down the rabbit holes with you. I want to go back to, if you want peace, prepare for war. What exactly does that statement mean? Um, does it have, does it have a, a significance to this particular book? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know the historical context of the original Latin adage, Um you know, I, I talked a little bit about what it meant for me as I as I prepared to write the novel, but I think it has a similar meaning for uh, the characters in this novel. And, you know, as the novel opens, the four characters pretty quickly descend into some, some pretty dark places, and they're struggling with some psychological issues. Um, they're struggling with challenges in their, their personal lives. Um, and, but I think all of them, in a sense, want some sort of peace, whether it's to get back to a normal life or to achieve something or to, you know, uh, free themselves from some sort of pain. That's really what they're all seeking over the, the course of novel is some sense of peace. Um, and, you know, peace comes in different forms for all of them. But I think they all, you know, can kind of identify with that, the original adage, if you want peace, prepare for war. 
Yeah, I, I suppose it could be taken in several different contexts. And um, I think, again, it's something that we're looking at in, in our daily lives now. We say we want peace, but how are we personally so many preparing for a war? And to me, that's kind of scary. But <laughs> um, And let's explain, you offer some hope towards the end of the book. Explain what that hope is. Yeah, um, the novel ends in part with the, the shooting incident at the beach. Um, but I didn't want that to be the, sort of the last word. I, I didn't. On one hand, I didn't want the killer to have the last word in the novel. I wanted to um, give that voice to some of the other characters who, you know, didn't end up committing terrible violence. Who managed to kind of steer around it. Um, so I think from a story perspective, you know, I, I didn't want to end the story on such a bleak note. Uh, from a bigger perspective, I have been very conscious throughout writing the novel, um, not giving too much credit or attention to the eventual shooter. And so ending the novel on a note of hope was another way to do that. I was very intrigued. I was intrigued by not only uh, the title, the characters, the way it was written. And as I've been with, with, well, the only other book I've read of yours is The Friar's Lantern. But there again, it was a very intriguing story that pulls readers in and, and takes you places that maybe you haven't discovered yet. And I think this book does that extremely well, extremely well, because we, we don't want to look at our dark side. We don't want to see the darkness that, that really is within all of us. We don't want to know that it's even there sometimes, but it is there and we need to not visit it, but at least recognize it so that, uh, so that we don't always dwell on it, but we overcome it in some way. Do you feel that that's a, a good description? Yes, I appreciate that. I think that's an excellent description, um, especially what you said about you know the need to look at the dark side of ourselves as individuals. Um, I think we're often more prone to look at and to and even enjoy looking at the dark side of others. You know, there's a fascination with true crime stories, and you know, when we're all driving down the highway, when we see a car crash, we all slow down and, and look and, and see what's going on. Um, but I think you make a good point that we're less likely to look at the dark side of ourselves. Um, and I do think that's important just to understand ourselves and to understand where we could kind of stray from the path that we had imagined for our lives. Well, Greg, this is is a fascinating, another fascinating book from you. And, you know, as we close out, what would be the th- most important thing that you would like to leave listeners with? Is there a specific uh, message, something that, you know, we can go away with? Well, I mean, I, I touch a lot on the empathy um, issue in this conversation. So I think that's the big one for me, but my goal is to always write entertaining stories for smart readers. Um, so I hope that readers will find this a compelling story that they can engage with and that pulls them along, but that, will also be able to to deal with some of the bigger issues that the story raises. 
I think that's a great description. I truly do. And once again, everyone out there, get a copy of Parabellum by Greg Hickey at greghickeywrites.com. What are you looking for next? What are you going to do? You know, I've kicked around a few ideas for my next novel. Um, Still haven't really started anything yet. I'm kind of waiting for the dust to settle on Parabellum. It's two weeks old, so I'm kind of working on final details of getting it out there and, and getting it to a larger audience. Um, and then maybe a couple of weeks from now, I'll try to pick up something else. Any thoughts of boiling in the back of your brain? Give me a hint. Uh, Come on. So, yeah. The, the leading contender right now is a story about a, a man who's in the hospital with um, some terrible, likely terminal illness. Um, I haven't worked out all the details yet, but in any case, he's in the hospital bed and he's, kind of in and out of sleep and starts having these very vivid dreams. And as he goes through the dreams that recur night after night, um, he realizes that what's happening in his dreams begins to influence the progression of his disease. Um, and so the story kind of, I imagine will kind of go back and forth between his dreams and, and his condition in real life. Oh, now that sounds interesting. And I hope you get it done so you can come back. <laughs> We can talk about that one. I always enjoy our conversations, and I really enjoy your books, too. And I know listeners out there, you will. So go to greghickeywrites.com and check it out. Check out all of Greg's books because you won't be disappointed. So as we, as we head out into this big old world today, you know, things are happening as, as we speak that um, aren't always wonderful. We want to go looking for the wonderful of life because it is a wonderful life and we want to see the positive, but sometimes, you know, we have to, go through a dark time. We have to see some kind of darkness in order to realize what joy life brings to all of us. So as we, as I leave you, Greg, and I leave you listeners, please just be kind to each other. 